you have a Bible, <clears throat> do grab it and make your way to Hebrews 4, where we just read from. Uh, we're just continuing through our series uh, through the book of, of Hebrews. Um, and one of the things that like, I've noticed, and I don't know if it's because, you know, you know how like, your phone listens to you, right? Everything you say, it hears, and so it starts spitting out advertisements based upon what you said. And so a couple, maybe a year ago, two years ago, Sarah and I bought a new mattress. So I just get bombarded all the time with mattress commercials, right? Your sleep number, uh, mattress firm, like all these things. I'm just bombarded with them. Uh, and you see it on TV if you're watching a show. There's just tons and tons and tons of mattresses. Like, watch. It's, it's surprising how many mattress commercials are out there. And one of the reasons is because everybody knows, science, I mean, science is proven, like, we need good rest. You need good sleep. You need good rest. Spiritually, it's the same thing. We need good rest. And there is a rest that God has provided to his people. And that's what Hebrews chapter 4 is all about. And there's really like kind of a multifaceted rest that it speaks of. There's rest that comes to us in salvation. That's all over this passage. There's rest that comes to us just like the peace that passes all understanding that can be ours in the midst of circumstances. That's in this passage. And then there's the true Sabbath rest when Jesus returns and makes everything that's gone wrong right again. And that's in this passage. And so we see all three of these intermixed and intertwined throughout there. But just as the author did last week when we were at the, at the end of chapter 3, he begins with an illustration from the wilderness generation um, of Israel as an illustrative warning to us to not miss out on this rest that God offers. Because literally, we're playing with fire here, right? If you miss it, there's hell. If you enter in, there's heaven. And so, to get us started, we're going to kind of go back to chapter 3, verse 7, get some context here, because it all flows together. And so if you'll join me there, I'm going to pause really fast here just to make a quick little point. But chapter 3, verse 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, all right, told you I was going to pause really fast. As the Holy Spirit says, so just really quick note, the author here clearly believes that God is the author of Scripture, the ultimate author. Because he's saying, as the Holy Spirit says, like he's about to quote Psalm 95, and he's saying, hey, yeah, I know David wrote this, but David wrote this through the Holy Spirit. So clearly, the author of Hebrews believes that the ultimate author of Scripture is God. All right, but let's keep going. Looking at this warning against missing out on God's rest. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, again, Psalm 95 here, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked, we talked about that last week, with that generation, and said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Specifically for that generation, the rest was the promised land, okay? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, right? Corporately. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we, corporate, 
have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt? Led by Moses, again, make illustrative warning here with the wilderness generation. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that we are unable to enter it because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And so again, the author's talking about the wilderness generation here. Okay, Just giving the story of uh, those people who came out of Egypt. Right? Moses... God raised up Moses and he led the people out. You had all the plagues. We went through this. We went through Moses. Had all, I mean, we went through Exodus. Had all the plagues, brought them out, parted the Red Sea. They came out. They are six weeks in. They're grumbling. Wish we could go back to Egypt. Wish it was so much better. We had food there. Let's go back. And so they grumble and they complain. They grumble and they complain. And how did God respond to their grumbling? With grace. Which is so good for us. And he responded with grace and he gave them manna from heaven, water from a rock. He gave them the law. He gave them the sacrificial system. He gave them all of these things. And so eventually they keep going. And after about a year out of the Exodus, they get to the border of the promised land. It's just on the other side of the Jordan River. They send 12 spies to go in and check it out. They come back after 40 days and 10 of them say, ah, the land's awesome. But the people there are ginormous. Right? The people, they have fortified cities. they got big armies. We can't go in. It's not going to happen. We, you know, we're not going to do it. And so watch this. Because like, after that, they wander for 40 years. But when you look closely here, verse 2, they had been given good news, right? They'd been promised the promised land, a land of rest. But, verse 2, the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they didn't believe it. And so as one author put it, in order for good news to benefit you, you have to believe the news. In order for good news to benefit you, you have to believe the news, right? Like, for, for example, you might receive some good news. So our high school students, there was homecoming just recently, right? So you might receive some good news that this person you have a crush on or something like that likes you too, right? That's good news. But it doesn't benefit you if you're like, well, they would never actually ask me out. They would never actually like me. Like, it doesn't do you any good if you don't believe it. Some of you may have a job opportunity. Your supervisor comes to you and is like, hey, I think you'd be perfect for, for this position. I think you could nail it. I think you could just kill it. I think it would be great. But that's going to be of no benefit to you if you don't believe them. I could not do that job. There's too much responsibility. I'd have to speak in front of people, whatever it may be. It doesn't do you any good if you don't believe it. There's no benefit to you. And that's the people here in the wilderness generation. They have this good news of the land. God's 
promised to give it to them, but they don't believe it, and so it's no benefit of them. And so a lesson that we pull out of this is that they missed out on what God promised because they failed to believe, and we can do the same thing. Which should create a little bit of fear in us. Verse 1, let us fear. Because good news has come to us and we can miss it. And fundamentally, what is the good news? So, kids in here for a minute. What does good news mean? If I asked it the other way, I know you'd answer it. I'm asking it the reverse way. Gospel. The gospel is good news. Literally, that's what it means. And that is the word that is used here. Euangelion. That's the word that is used here. Gospel. Good news. And somebody's like, well, that's great. It means gospel. What does that mean? Is that like a kind of music? Like gospel music? Gospel fundamentally, no. It's what we read together earlier. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is that God sent His Son into this world to live the perfect sinless life that we didn't, that we failed, all of us. And then He became our substitute to pay the debt for sin that we all owe because we have all Sin, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Jesus was our substitute for that. And then He rose again so that we could be given, listen to me, now and eternally, rest, forgiveness, salvation, adoption, love. And so the author is saying that is available to you. That is available to you, but you have to believe that. And so number one in your notes, right? Believe that rest is available to you. Believe, this is step one, believe that rest is available to you. The problem is some of us don't believe that. We don't believe that our souls, our lives could actually find rest. And maybe we've been so beaten down by life. So much has happened. We've grown dark. We've grown cold. We've grown cynical. We've grown hopeless. And so we wrongly reason that, hey, Joe, that may be true for some people, but, but not for me. Now, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing right now. You don't, like, you don't understand the, the train wreck of a life I've made by the choices I've made, and I'm too far gone, and there's nothing that can be done about it. I may not understand it, but Jesus does. And He says right here that the promise of entering His rest still stands for you. Okay, it's available. It's available for you. And so then knowing that it's available, well, how do you get in on this rest? And then number two in your notes. You enter God's rest through faith. You enter God's rest through faith. So look at verse 3 with me. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation 
of the world, like he's already, is that divine sovereignty, human responsibility? He's already set everything up. He's already rested from everything. But there's still human responsibility in the midst of it. For he is somewhere spoken, and I love how the author does that. He can't recall, because like Genesis, you know, 1-1, like they, they had the books, but they didn't have chapter and verse. So you just kind of, hey, somewhere, somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, again, he's already said, Holy Spirit's the author, now he's talking about David, this is how God writes scripture, author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Psalm 95 again, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's wordy. I understand. I've been wrestling with it all week. It's wordy. But the first thing we just need to see out of here is verse 3. Again, like we enter God's rest through faith. For we who have believed, it says, enter that rest. And so you have to believe. And listen to me, belief, okay, faith, is not just intellectual assent. It's not just understanding. Like I think the Israelites understood just fine what God meant. They just didn't believe it. And so salvation is not just hearing the news, it's not just knowing the news, it's not even memorizing it, regurgitating it. You personally have to actually choose, make a choice to believe it. Like you have to have a true confession, absolutely. You understand the gospel. You can't believe in something you don't understand. And I'm not talking like theologian, but just basic understanding. I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me, I trust in Him to make me what's right with the Father. You've got to have a true confession but then you also have to be a true confessor. Like you actually believe it. And so the call here then this morning is like pretty simple. Enter God's rest through faith. Like believe the good news. Well, when? Today. Today. Not someday. I mean, old Garth sings about it. Tomorrow never comes, right? You don't know that tomorrow is going to happen. I don't know that tomorrow is going to happen. Today. So if, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Like if you are in here hardening your hearts, the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that. Today is the day to trust. And I bet a nickel that there's some of us in here right now or maybe watching online at home and, and, and when you were younger, right? maybe you prayed a prayer, you repeated magic words you thought. And they're not magic words. It, God looks at the heart. You prayed some prayer. Maybe you even got baptized. All your friends were going to get baptized. You're like, I'll get baptized too. Mom would like that. Dad would like that. And I'll be cool like everybody else. I'll get a t-shirt. I'll get baptized. But you recognize now, like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't actually trust Christ. It just kind of went along. I got emotional, but it wasn't real. That means today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day to choose to trust Christ. 
Don't be embarrassed. We're playing with fire here, right? Trust Jesus today. And so no matter what your background is, never heard the gospel before, heard it, emotional at one point today, admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Christ, that He died on the cross to save you from your sins, and then confess and commit yourself to follow Him as Lord and Savior for the rest of your life. ABCs. Admit, believe, confess. Do it today. He loves you. He's come after you. You're hearing this message today, which is evidence that God loves you and is calling you to Himself. If you have not trusted Jesus, trust Him today. And when you do, you enter into God's rest. And so if you've trusted in Jesus, whether that's today or that's previously, if you've done that, you've entered into God's rest and it's yours already. Like right now, you have that rest that comes to us in salvation. Look at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so what this is saying is that you don't have to keep on trying to earn it. You don't have to keep on trying to earn God's favor. Like some of you in here are spiritually exhausted because you've been trying for years and years and years. You've been doing all the right things, reading your Bible, coming to church, feeding the poor, praying, but you've been doing it for all the wrong reasons. You've been doing it to try to earn God's salvation. You've been doing it to try to earn God's favor. You've been trying to do it to prove to God that you're worthy. Now listen to me. God already knows you're not worthy and never will be. Right? Like that was never in question. I wonder if this one's worthy or not. Like that was never in question. We're all unworthy. It's kind of the whole point of the gospel. That Jesus came and lived a life that was worthy for us and then gives that to us, imputes His righteousness, credits His worthiness to us. And that's what makes us able to be holy and blameless before the Father. Not what we do, what Jesus did. And so now in Christ we can rest from our efforts to save ourselves. 1974, there was this, uh, I mean, big news. Um, there was this guy named Hiro Anata. He was a Japanese military, military intelligence officer in the Philippines. And in 1974, somebody finally convinced him that he could come out of hiding, that the war was over. World War II I'm talking about. Right? 1945. He had been fighting. He had been continuing on for decades in hiding, fighting this war that was long over. Don't be like Him. Jesus has won. You don't have to try to earn it. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. Lay down your efforts to prove yourself to God. Now, it doesn't mean we don't do any, like we don't, we don't do anything at all. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we are to work, but listen to me, here's the big difference. Now we work from our rest, not for our rest. You understand that? We work from our rest, 
not for our rest. It flows out of the fact that we've been loved, we've been saved, we've been adopted, we've been forgiven. It doesn't try to earn those things. And so already through faith, if you have trusted in Jesus, you have already entered into God's rest. All right, It's yours right now if you're in Christ. There is a rest for your soul right now. But there's a not yet dimension of our rest as well. So much of Hebrews is already not yet. And that's what we have here. There's a not yet dimension as well. So look back at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Okay, this is the not yet part. This is the future rest that is to come. God's rest is an already not yet paradigm. Already we enter into it. Already we enjoy His presence. Already we are His. He is with us. But we are not yet home. That's still to come. That's the Sabbath rest that's still to come. And friends, that's where our hope is. Some of us live this life and we're like, man, why won't God like, rescue me out of my problems and everything that's going on in my life? Why won't He do that right now? And the reason is because He never promised to. He, di- he didn't. He promised that He would someday. Not right now. He never said, hey, you know, come to Jesus and everything will be easy. He never said, come to Jesus and you'll have a big house and you'll have lots of money and if you believe enough, He'll keep you healthy and all your problems will go away. Listen, TBN may say that, Joel Osteen may say that, Paul White may say that, but the Bible doesn't say that. God never promised any of that. That's a lie. What He did promise is to be with you right now in the midst of whatever's going on, to never leave you, to never forsake you, to get in the boat with you, and to ultimately come again. Second coming of Jesus, when He returns and does finally and fully fix all that's gone wrong in God's creation. He brings an end to sin. He brings an end to death, to wickedness, to evil. He resurrects our body. He glorifies our body. And we live with Him forever and ever and ever on a renewed earth, new heavens, new earth, forever and ever enjoying His true, final, and full Sabbath rest. That's our hope. And that's where we've got to like reset our focus. Our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, they get this. Their hope is in heaven. Their hope is for Christ to return. But a lot of times, like America, in a lot of ways, American Christianity, man, we are so focused on the right now. We try to over-realize our eschatology right now. But our hope is there, not here. This is not home. We are aliens here. Our hope's there. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in heaven. We've grown too comfortable here. There's a Sabbath rest. That's, where we, that's what we look to. That's what we hope in. That day. And so verse 9 again, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And we enter into that rest by faith. All right? But what do we do between now and that day? Number three in your notes. We work at resting. We work at resting. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive 
to enter that rest. Again, we enter that rest. We already see, for we who have believed enter that rest. Now we're being told, strive. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In other words, we work, like we, we have to work at resting. We enter by faith, but now we have to work at resting. That's what the word strive is all about. Like you don't rest on accident. It doesn't happen. And some of you may fall asleep in here on accident. But that's not rest, right? You don't rest on accident. You have to be intentional. Like Sarah and I, the kids, our family, tomorrow we're going to go to East Tennessee for two nights, right? And to do that, I had to be intentional. I had to go on VRBO. I had to find a place, right? I had to check with John and Chad, make sure everything's going to be covered in the office, right? You've got to be intentional about these things. They don't just happen. Or, or as an athlete, you have to rest. Like you can't push hard every single day. You will get hurt. You have to have days of rest. And you have to be intentional about it. It doesn't just happen. You've got to be intentional. And it's the same thing spiritually. We have to be intentional to walk in our rest. We have to work at it. We enter by faith. We stay in God's rest. Like That's not on us. God does that by His strength. But we must work at enjoying or accepting experiencing the rest we've been given. And so I think two words to maybe write down, memorize, would be really helpful here. And those words are union and communion. All right? And they're very different. Union and communion. One of the books I put, I think I put it uh, as a reference, is Enjoying God by Tim Chester. And in, his, in that book, he writes this as it relates to union and communion. And it'll give you the definitions too. Grasping the distinction between union and communion protects us from thinking our actions make all the difference on the one hand and thinking our actions make no difference on the other hand. Our actions don't make us Christian. They don't keep us as a Christian or make us more of a Christian. Our union with God is all his work, not ours. He did it all. Jesus paid it all, right? All to him I owe. Our actions do, however, make a difference to our enjoyment of God. For our communion with God, which is the enjoyment of our union, involves a two-way relationship. And so whereas our union with God, our entrance into His rest, can't be destroyed by our actions because it's not based on our actions, but based on the actions of Christ, our enjoyment of that experience, our enjoyment of rest, can be by, look at the end of verse 11, last word, disobedience. That's why verse 8 talks about Joshua. Because Joshua eventually did lead the people into the promised land. They, they did get there. But once they got into that place of rest, once, the, once Israel got into that place of rest, they still didn't experience rest. Why? Disobedience. And so disobedience is like a shot across the bow at the, at the glory of God and it robs us of experiencing the rest in this life that God has for us. And so we have to work at living in obedience. Because like I said last week, sin or disobedience, 
is evidence of unbelief to some degree. And so we don't just have a sin problem, we have a belief problem. We, we don't believe God. Like, that's the heart of sin. I don't believe you, God. Like, like I know what you said. God, I know you said sexuality works this way, but I don't believe you. I believe me, right? I know, Lord, that you said gender works this way, but I don't believe you. I'm going to take my cues from culture. I know, Lord, that you said we should love our enemies and be merciful and be a peacemaker, but I don't believe you. I'm going to take my cues from political leaders. I know that you said that, that only you could satisfy, but I don't believe you. I will satisfy. I will go out there and I'll make it happen. I don't believe you, God. I believe me. And when we do that, we miss out on experiencing the rest of God. The, like experiencing it. I'm not talking about whether you have it or not, but experience it, the, that peace that comes maybe even in the midst of crazy circumstances, a joy that can't be taken from you. My grandfather on my mom's side, we called him Papal, and he died when I was really young. He had diabetes and um, you know, wound up having both of his legs amputated, and he'd been an athlete, baseball player, and um, passed away when I was 12, and after he died, you know, going through all of his belongings, my mom went through, uh, and her siblings went through his wallet, and in his wallet, they found an old piece of paper, he'd been there for a long time, um, folded up, and it had uh, this scripture, Isaiah 26, 3 on it, and it says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. You keep him in perfect peace, regardless of what's going on, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. This doesn't mean things are going to be hunky-dory in life, but it means there's a rest for our souls in the midst of non-hunky-doryness. That's the rest that God has for us in this life right now. But a lot of us aren't living that out, are we? Like, we're not at peace. We've entered into peace. We've entered into rest. But, like, and we've trusted Jesus, but we aren't at peace. So what are we to do then? Today, we are to awaken from our stupor. We are to awaken from our stumbling around in the dark. We are to awaken from our continued disobedience. We're to awaken from our sin habits. We are to awaken and make a decision today to put that sin that we struggle with away because we will never experience rest until we put that to death. Until we obey and believe God in that area. And God wants you to find or renew your rest. He does. When? today to find it or to renew it and so we must work at living in obedience and in order to obey you need the word like if you want to live the word you have to know the word so look at verse 11 again let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience and so knowing we need to know how to do that bam he takes us right to the word for the word of god that's the bible is living and active 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from, note this, it, it twists the pronoun here, not it, talking about the word, but his, showing the intrinsic connectedness of the word and God. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so notice what it says about the Bible here. The Word of God. It says, first of all, that it's living. Like when you read or study or listen to a sermon, you encounter the God of this book because He's alive. When you re- like, We've got to understand, when you are reading, the Holy Spirit wrote it, the Holy Spirit illuminates it. So when you are reading, it is living and active. Like God is speaking to you. I wish God would talk to me. You got pages where he is. Take up and read. Secondly, it says it's active. The word in Greek here is where we get our word energy. The Bible, the word of God is active. It doesn't just say stuff, it does stuff. Like we know this. God spoke word. Heavens and earth were created. Jesus speaks word and people are healed. Demons come out. Lazarus you know, resurrects. Storms are silenced. The Bible doesn't just say things, it does things. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you want to be the man of God that He created you to be? You want to be the woman of God that He created you to be? You want to be the student that God created you to be? You need His Word. It's living. It's active. It's also piercing. How many, show of hands, how many of you had surgery before? A lot of us, right? I've had two. When I was 14, I had an emergency appendectomy, and it's the old school way, not laparoscopic. Like I got a giant, you know, incision right here, stapled me up, couldn't do anything for six weeks. 2009, I had a um, a cyst cut out of my throat. Many of us have had surgeries. Sarah and I have also handed over three of our four babies for surgery. For two of them, it was like super minor. It was just like tubes in the ears, not a big deal. For one of them, it was super serious. Colon, seven or nine inches cut out of her colon when she was seven days old. Open heart surgery when she was three months old. I mean, June 29, 2012, I'll never forget that day. This is the day that Dr. Christian sawed Eden's sternum open, pulled that thing open, reached in, electrically turned off her heart. Blood was pumped to her vital organs through a machine. And she opened up that heart and built chambers and built valves and sewed her up and glued her up. It was not cruel of Dr. Christian to cut her. It was her saving her life. It was kind. Like for all of us who have had surgeries, it's pain, because surgeries don't feel good, right? For a purpose. And that's the way the piercing aspect of God's Word works. He often has to cut us to heal us. And cutting hurts. Like, have you ever been cut by the Word? 
you're reading, someone's preaching, you're like, oh gosh, oh gosh, Lord, I'm sorry. That's me, I'm sorry. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit and it's a grace to you from God. Yes, it hurts, but it's pain on purpose. This is how God's Word produces repentance and obedience. And so Al Mohler puts it like this. When we approach Scripture with a humble hermeneutic, that just means how we understand it, with a humble hermeneutic of submission, rather than a haughty hermeneutic of suspicion, then it is not we who read Scripture. It is Scripture that reads us. Scripture untangles the human heart and unearths sin like no other book can. No other book can discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Only God's Word can do that. And He takes that and He uses it like a scalpel to do heart surgery. Why? Because He loves you. Because He's for you. Because He knows what's best for you. Because He wants you to experience this rest and this peace. And because, verse 13, we will give an account. And God sees everything. And we can't hide. Like the thing that we may think that we're hiding, we're not hiding. God sees it. We can't hide. He knows it. And that's sobering. Again, that should give us a little bit of fear. Verse 1, let us fear We aren't hiding anything. And we will give an account for this one life that God gave us. What did you do with that life? And He prepares us for this through His Word. As we pay attention, as we seek to obey and live it. And so we have to work at resting. Striving towards obedience with His Word as our tutor and our surgeon. And so the question then for us this morning is, are you resting? Are you resting? Have you found true rest? Have you entered into God's rest? Are you now working to rest? Like from rest, not for it. Like we don't have to earn it. But now we're working from that for God's glory and our own good and joy. Are you resting or are you restless? Restless because you've never trusted in Jesus. Restless because you've grown indifferent or callous or apathetic to the cause of Christ. Wherever you may be, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of turning. Today is the day of repenting and making an about face and turning to Christ and seeking to pursue Him. Today's the day. Not tomorrow. Not two weeks from now. You may not get that. Today is the day of turning. Either for, like, today's the day to trust Christ, either for the first time or a renew, in a renewed sense. Repenting of that apathy. And in so doing, you can experience rest and peace for your soul right now, already. Even as we look to the future and that coming true Sabbath rest that will come someday when Jesus cracks the sky. That coming peace that is for God's not perfect people, but pursuing people. And Chad always says it. Got t-shirts printed for the students. It's not about perfection. It's about pursuit. And so let us pursue 
Let us strive. Let us enjoy and work from God's rest for His glory and our own good. Those two things always go together because God's that good. Let's pray. Father, you are so kind in the first place that you would come after, receive, love, adopt, save a wretch like me. A wretch like each one of us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saves a wretch like me. And Father, your patience is unbelievable that you never quit on us. Though we give you reason to over and over, Rescued from sin, we run right back to it. Father, we ask today for forgiveness. Some of us ask maybe for the first time that you would forgive us, that you would rescue us, and we choose by faith to trust you now. Some of us who have been yours are yours. We ask you now to forgive us for those areas that we've failed you that are in our mind right now, that we have been convicted of by the Holy Spirit right now. Forgive us. Help us to change by the power of your Holy Spirit. We can't do it, but you can. You've given us your word. We do have an effort to make. But search us, O oh God, as we talked about last week. Show us these areas. Change us. And we praise you. We don't deserve your continued goodness, but Lord, your mercy flows to us. Even as we'll get into next week, the next two verses, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Praise you, Jesus, that you did it. You lived it. You overcame. And you sympathize. You don't grade with a clipboard marking off our deficits. You just offer a hug and a heart change and surgery through your word to cut us and heal us where needed. And so, Father, in these next few moments, would you continue that heart surgery? And, Father, would you let us not grow amnesia when we walk out of these doors, forget what we've heard, convict how you've spoken to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit in this time, and then walk out the doors and forget it, but that we would live this out day by day by day by day. For your glory, because you are worthy, and for our good. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, if you have never trusted Jesus, again, today's the day to do that. Today is the day of salvation. You choose, place your faith in Christ. Until you do, you won't have rest in this life. And if you never do, you won't have eternal rest. But it's open to you while it still stands today. Don't harden your hearts.
receive him. If you want to talk about what that looks like, I'd be glad to hang out and talk with you afterwards. And then for those of you who have walked with Jesus for a while, we all grow, we talked about last week, we all grow hardened hearts. Let us repent and turn. Not pursue the things of this world, but pursue Christ and Christ alone.